0: Hey, Don. Hello, Zach. This week, you sent me an article about the past and why is it that the past always seems so much easier than today? Over the last year, we've had, of course, COVID. On Wednesday, we saw an insurrection at the Capitol. We've been talking about the issues of racial injustice throughout 2020. There's a huge feeling of anxiety across America, and it sort of asks the question, why do so many people look back in the past And here's the best paragraph I read. It says, people in many countries are longing for the good old days. When asked in life if their country is better or worse today than 50 years ago, 31% of Britons, 41% of Americans, and 46% of French say it's worse. Psychologists say that this kind of nostalgia is natural and sometimes even useful. Anchoring our identity in the past helps gives us a sense of stability and predictability. For individuals, nostalgia is especially common when we experience rapid transitions like puberty, retirement, or moving to a new country. Similarly, collective nostalgia, a longing for the good old days when life was simpler and people behaved better, can also be a source of communal strength in difficult times. But when exactly were the good old days? And Don, this article is just interesting. It goes through various decades in American history, trying to look for when is the good old days, when were the best times to be alive? What did you think about the article?
1: Well, it goes through and says, basically, that there were no good old days and that our memories make the past seem better than it actually was. And we don't realize it because our memories change over time. And I think we know this in our heart of hearts, but it's something we should take into account when we yell, make America great again, or remember the good old days when this was the case or that was the case. Not only are memories of the times inaccurate, but the times were different too. It's just we didn't understand it. It's very personalized too. I I like that
0: statement of let's just get back to when it was simpler or I remember in my day and everybody then brings their own personal anecdote into these stories to kind of explain how in from their perspective America was just an easier place and of course this article just kind of goes through decade by decade and just points out all of the various issues that people have been dealing with in history. There really is no easier or better time to be alive than probably today. And it never was in the past. There's always been anxiety and issues that humans have had to deal with.
1: Absolutely. And as we look back, we think... It was simpler. Maybe it was simpler because we were young and in childhood life for many of us, especially those of us that live privileged upbringings, was very simple and we didn't have to worry about big things. And we had lots of time to think and reflect and to have fun. And sure, we want to go back to an earlier time. What we're really saying is we want to go back to when it was simpler for us, not necessarily the history, just we want to go back to childhood. And quickly, this becomes pretty deeply psychological and philosophical.
0: Well, when you're a kid, the world does seem simpler. You don't quite understand how all of the players work, right? You don't understand necessarily all of the behaviors like greed and, and people being self-serving or why people would be mean to each other, right? Most kids grow up watching cartoons and reading books about being honest, about sharing, about everybody being equal. And yet, as you get older, you kind of lose that innocence and you start to kind of realize man, the world is kind of a dark place sometimes, not always, but not every adult does treat each other equally. Not every adult does treat each other honestly. All of a sudden, when you start to kind of realize that it's almost like, man, can I please just go back to where it just seems simpler where you didn't, you could just sort of ignore all that stuff too. I guess as an adult, as a citizen, you are expected to be thinking through all of these issues and then going to the voting box and making your decisions, right? Or going to work every day and kind of grinding out another paycheck to support your, family. And it's kind of not always fun and it's not always easy.
1: I think you're on to the right point. And the point I'll elaborate on a little more is when you're a child, your things are good and bad or right and wrong. In the adult world where you know more, you realize that things are very hectic. Things are confusing. There's tremendous demands on your time. And there's also demands in both directions. I know from looking at voting statistics that people, for the most part, don't vote their best interests economically. Those people who are low income in Appalachia are likely to vote Republican, despite the fact it's not good for them economically. And highly educated people in big cities are likely to vote liberal, even though it's bad for them economically. And so it's very confusing and it's hard and there's no quick and easy answer. And maybe that's what we yearn for is the clarity of childhood.
0: You just kind of followed your gut in childhood, right? You made a lot of mistakes. You did a lot of dumb things, but you also had a lot of fun. And for the most part, if you were growing up in a situation where you had caring adults, they probably provided you an environment where for the most part, you were just kind of worrying about having fun. And that's kind of easy. And it's funny. I was just sitting down and kind of writing out things that I remember from my childhood. And I remember like in kindergarten, my parents, I came home and they were like, the stock market crashed today. My parents didn't seem that upset about it, but It also sort of seemed like something really important happened, but I had no idea what that meant. I remember like in third grade, uh, we had Manuel Noriega and the Panama Canal seemed closed down. I had no idea really what that was, but it seemed like a big deal. You know, we had Kosovo when I was in seventh grade and you had words like ethnic cleansing all of a sudden coming out. San Francisco earthquake that canceled the World Series for a couple of days. Hurricane Hugo in second grade. And every one of these things was kind of on TV. And I remember watching it and thinking bad. I remember feeling, really upset during the first Iraq war, when all of a sudden you heard words like Scud missiles and Patriot missiles and Saddam Hussein and 11th grade Columbine, right? All of these issues, sixth grade, Oklahoma City bombing, were all going on. And as a kid, they all seemed like oh my gosh, like this is terrible. But it wasn't like I ever remember my life just sort of stopping during any of these events. Maybe for a while, my parents might tell me something about it, but I also remember probably being like, well, can I go out to play now, right? Can I go back to school now? Can I go play video games? Probably I was still really focused on me most of the time while all these events were going on. And I guess the whole point is the 80s, the 90s, they don't seem like they were just simple decades.
1: No, and that's clear through the article couple points you bring up there that's really good. The first I thought is, yeah, it's about me. I remember when I graduated from college, Lee Bollinger was one of our speakers at the graduation. The other was Kofi Annan. And Lee Bollinger spoke about how you got to be selfish and got to use all this time to yourself to think about yourself. And you mentioned Columbine High School, which the shooting there was tragic and awful and makes me realize how much I am older than you in that I was student teaching during that time period. And briefly, I thought, oh, I'm in teaching. Do I really want to be in teaching? Kids are shooting each other. And then I quickly moved on because I wanted to get home to see my girlfriend. I was going to run some race coming up in the next weekend. I was trying to figure out where I was going to move. We were going to move after college. It was just a focus on ourselves. And that is something that goes with the eight time period. But you mentioned the 80s, and the article goes into depth that people now glorify the 80s and are interested in the 80s. And that's what Stranger Things is about, the very popular Netflix show, which I haven't seen. And then in the 80s itself, people were thinking about the 50s because the 50s were a better time. And that's what people perceived as the better time through surveys and whatnot. And that's why Happy Days was so popular because it's glorifying the 50s. But in the 50s, people yearned for the 20s. And in the 20s, people yearned for earlier times where they didn't have radios and telegraphs and phones and all these things. It's just a consistent thing that people want what was going on when they were younger. And really, it's a drive to back to childhood.
0: Right. The article, as you just kind of summarized, says basically everybody looks about one to two decades behind them, and that's when everything was better. And it's funny you mentioned about life and me kind of going on during all of these things. And I sort of was thinking about this, but Wednesday, when the Capitol riots were happening and people were storming the Capitol building, I was sort of following it a little bit on my phone or just kind of getting some news updates. But my day just continued. I was teaching class and I continued to teach class. And after class, I then took my kids skiing for the first time. And then I had a wonderful two hours watching my kids try skiing for the first time ever. And then we went into Jimmy John's and had a sandwich. After that, I took my daughter to swimming. But it wasn't like I stopped anything. I didn't like the news headlines. I definitely felt a little anxious kind of reading them and trying to figure out what it meant. And a part of me also felt a little bit guilty that here I am at this crowded ski hill with a lot of other parents, and we're all just laughing and joking and and just enjoying watching our kids ski for the first time. Never once did the capital issue even come up. And I don't know, I, I guess, should we have been talking about it more? Or is that just more of an example of how it kind of just is, right? Major events are happening. And I guess unless you are directly involved, you sort of on your own time kind of figure out how do you actually feel about them?
1: Well, I think that goes to the point I made in the very beginning, which is that it's hectic. That's what adulthood and parenthood is. It's hectic. There's always something to be done. Even if I find myself with a free half hour, I think, oh, well, the sheets are probably dirty on the beds. I should probably toss them in the washer or I have laundry that needs to be folded or something needs to be fixed. The simplicity of being a child and saying, oh, I got a half hour, I guess I'll watch a TV show. I just don't get that. There's always something going on. There's always something needs to be done. And that's what adulthood is, is being busy and having lots of things to think about and lots of things happening. And so like you said, yeah, maybe you're not dwelling on today's, but it's just in the back. I know for me, it was just pulling at my mind all the time. I kept looking at my phone in fleeting moments to see, are things going on? Are we still going to have a republic? what's happening.
0: And yet you probably also, you know, had to continue on with your own family and uh, just kind of keep moving forward. And I could see again, as you're saying, you're right, like you're already maxed out in your day about what you're doing. And then you have this on top of it. And again, it's upsetting, that's for sure. And trying to kind of figure out, well, should I be doing something right? Or um, should I be doing any more than just kind of watching and, and being informed? That's really difficult. I used to see people, and I guess I still every once in a while see people wearing a sweatshirt that says, I'm not adulting today, or I'm done adulting. And that's like the weirdest term to me that seems to have arisen over the last five years is people sort of complaining about adulting. And it kind of makes me wonder, does that sort of fit into this theme of people longing for the good old days when you didn't have to be an adult? And I always kind of drives me nuts because it's like, I'm sorry, but you are an adult and you don't get a choice anymore. Do you think people should have to sort of like just kind of grow up or do you think some people can just be able to choose? I'm not adulting today.
1: Uh, I think some people have been infatuated with the life that is just leisure and time and relaxation and they don't want to be responsible hey, good for you. You have the choice. That's how good your life is, that you got the choice. My grandmother, her parents died when she was 13 and she raised her siblings. My dad had his first job at eight pulling groceries home from the uh, grocery store where his mom worked. I mean, these are fairly adult things or some actually really adult things that are happening for many people. If you live this luxurious life where now, oh, I don't want to adult and I think we all complain in the back of our head, like, oh, I don't want to go to the grocery store. I don't want to make dinner or whatever. But ultimately, you get it done. And that's part of being an adult. And it's part of what's not fun. And it's part of what responsibility is. Hey, soon we'll be real old. And we can be feeble-minded. And we can run on and on on stories. And other people have to listen to us and care for us. There's another end of this tunnel coming. And
0: it doesn't look good because it's one where, as you said, you're feeble <laughs> and not really moving. And most people want to ignore you after five minutes, right? Unless if, you're a
1: Supreme Court justice. Then people have to fall trip over every word you say. That's what we need to be. We shouldn't be billionaires, Zach. We should be Supreme Court justices. We just need our friend Kevin Kopeck to become president. There you go. Or
0: just really old senators. They too seem to uh, you know, be able to hold some uh, filibuster power or something like that that gets them what they want. And you but don't I think even you make... have
1: to do the filibuster anymore. You just have to say, I'm saying a filibuster.
0: That's true. You just threaten it, right? You can do whatever you want. But I think you make a good point about this is like the day and age where you actually get to make a shirt about adulting. And it makes me wonder and it makes me just sort of think like, Is this probably the best of all possible worlds right now, right? As we've said before, like this is an era where things like a smartphone, things like Netflix on a TV, technology, the basic sort of human wants and needs of life are all relatively pretty cheap where a mass number of people can afford them or at least can finance them. And therefore, like, hey, that that wasn't something that happened 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago. And you're right. Nowadays, you can just sort of complain when you have to actually break away from your leisure. It also made me think about Tom Brokaw's book, The Greatest Generation, right? That was my grandfather, your grandfather. And I was thinking like that was the generation that grew up during the depression, talking about childhood responsibilities, And then from there, they all break in and volunteer to go fight World War II collectively. And I'm sure some people during that generation were complaining. Maybe some of them were making an uh, I'm tired of adulting shirt. But they kind of went and the generation at least gets the label of sort of having coming home too and not really complaining about all of that stuff.
1: Well, they also buried their feelings in men- much alcohol and sexism and racism and perhaps beat their children. I don't know. It was they, There's some dark sides there that I feel like are unexplored, or at least in popular culture, unexplored. But yeah, you're right. And you're sounding a little old there yourself as you're shaking your fist at these uh, young, young whippersnappers with their adulting shirts. But I see your point. And it leads to when is the best time to live? And I was talking to my wife about it, and she asked me, and I said, right now. And especially if you consider a question posed by Barack Obama, not that long ago. And he said, if you could choose any time in the world to live, you couldn't pick your gender, race, or religion, when would you want to live, Zach? I would probably live right now. Absolutely. Because you are not in every other situation, you have the possibility of facing tremendous discrimination. Not that there's no discrimination now, but it could, you could be killed or burned alive.
0: And right now allows you to look back at the past and see incremental change that maybe shows progress. Also, you could see incremental change that shows a lack of progress. At the same time, I think most people, as you just said, would choose now. Now, maybe you've got somebody who's really into wearing a suit of armor and carrying around a broadsword and they would like to be back in the middle ages. But let's face it, that time looks brutal and horrible. And again, you can go back and pick out any year and find a bunch of horrific events or a bunch of events that were causing people to feel anxiety. I'm sure the greatest generation also was not exactly loving watching Pearl Harbor get bombed and watching loved ones being sent overseas to fight in, you know, like the largest war in human history. And therefore, like even right now, it's easy to look back with the rose colored glasses and be like, oh, that was just the great generation. And as you just pointed out, there's a lot of probably unexplored behaviors that came from that era that we probably should be talking about.
1: Yeah, and that's got, that is not unexplored, but it's not really commonly thought of is how were women treated, how were Native Americans treated, how were African Americans treated, how were, what were the opportunities for people of, that were not interested in heterosexual relationships. But I think the article also does mention that if the situation is that in the past, you know, we made our way out of it. You survive. So if you go back to the 80s, yes, we we're worried about the Russians. Yes, we were really worried about AIDS. But now we can look on the other side of it and say, well, AIDS is now a manageable chronic condition that has medication. The Cold War did not kill us yet. And looks like we're going to make it through this thing. That's what is comforting. And that's maybe why people want to go back and look at an earlier time is that we made it through, which I thought was a very interesting point. Right. In
0: fact, I wrote this down. And I said, Do you think this is maybe like a crime that history does in terms of how we teach kids about the past is the history book is just, it's perfect, right? It explains the past. It shows a series of cause and effect. It shows that every time there was an issue, humans just got through it and they solved it, right? And now here we are today. And yet never does the history book say something like, if you're still feeling anxiety about today, Just remember that you're no different than anywhere else, right? While the history book is complete and that we've solved it, you know, you're going to have your own issues and you'll be filling your own pages of history. But I feel like in some ways, all we ever do is just kind of show the past as this complete package wrapped up in a bow. But we don't exactly just tell people it's normal to feel anxiety. It's normal to have new events that you as a nation are collectively facing. And I almost wonder if it's detrimental when we talk about how easier things were in the past, because maybe it sort of softens us to not be realistic about the present and the future.
1: Well, and clearly, based on the article and the research that they reference, we don't remember it accurately. So even if you ask somebody that you know that's older that experienced it was, what was it like in the early 80s? Did you really think you were going to die in a moment? They might say, "Nah, we thought we'd make it through it because they made it through it. They don't remember it accurately. And none of us do, which is why the previous time sounds good. And I am just as liable as anybody else to say, all right, let's let history figure this out. I said that Tuesday night, Tuesday night, I went to bed and thought, I don't know if this election's going to be affirmed. I don't know if the Republic will be here tomorrow but I'm tired and going to bed and it'll be more clear tomorrow when the 12 hours of history have been written. And so I guess that's what I'm sitting (laughs) back is hoping, waiting for the history to be written and for it to be okay. We made it through. I just want to make it through to January 20th and then, Oh, okay. Now we know that we made it through this time period. Now, what does the future hold? I'm not sure, but when it becomes past, it'll be good. Right? You hope. It's really no
0: different than watching a a sporting event if you're really invested in a team and it's a close game. And sometimes like you literally, I just can't watch the player shoot the basket or this field goal kick because I'm just so tense and so nervous. And as you're saying, you just almost want to put your head in the sand and just like, wake me up when it's over, right? Let me know what's going to happen. But I would also just say, like, I think that's something that maybe we don't talk enough about as a society and with kids is that It's normal that things are unsettled, right? It's normal that we don't have all the answers right now. And really the best thing we can do is to accept that we feel this so that we can then more clearly make decisions. Let's not make decisions out of fear. Let's not make decisions that are irrational. Instead, let's make data-based scientific decisions based upon the best idea that we think going forward.
1: Yeah. And I guess as parents, that's a responsibility to our children. I mean, our kids always want to ask us, well, what's going to happen? And lately it's been, I've been saying, well, I don't know. I I think this one thing's likely to happen or maybe another thing will happen, but we don't actually know. And telling them that life is uncertain and that's maybe preparing, maybe I'm ruining their childhood or maybe I'm telling them or teaching them that uncertainty is something that we have to deal with.
0: Is it possible that you should just tell your children, look, life's not that great now, It never really was that great. So just start getting used to it.
1: (laughs) It looks good in hindsight.
0: Right, exactly. So just, you know, start to accept that, right? It's funny because I was thinking about the past anyways. And I was thinking about my childhood. And nostalgia is obviously a very powerful thing. I can remember going to Meijer with my dad back in the mid to late 80s. And he would go shopping and I would just stand and stare and drool in front of the video game cabinet. (laughs) And I would just be like, when I get some money, I'm going to buy this game and I'm going to buy this game and I'm going to buy this game. And I, you know, I probably got a couple of them, but it's not like I ever bought every one, but I could just stand and stare and I just had so much fun just dreaming, right? Then all of a sudden, a couple of years ago, a friend of mine somehow hacked the internet and literally was able to download every Nintendo game from my childhood. He's like, look, like just whatever you wanna play, you can just click on it and play. And I found myself for 10 minutes just looking at the titles of every game. And I, I was brought back to Meyer, just staring and dreaming about someday I'm gonna play these things. So finally I selected a game to play and I was like, oh my God, the graphics on this thing are terrible. I don't even know what I'm doing. It moves so slow. This game is horrifically not fun. And the next five or six that I selected, I was like, this is what I used to play? This is terrible. And the same thing happened when I went on YouTube, uh, you know, a couple of years ago to watch an old Hulk Hogan match. And I was like, oh my God, Hulk Hogan is like really stiff. His punches look horrifically fake. Sometimes these big guys put him in a bear hug And it's almost embarrassing to watch him pretend to like get the oxygen squeezed out of him. And yet as a kid, you were like, oh my God, I think they're gonna kill Hulk until he of course broke out of the bear hug. And even trying to like recreate old times with like high school or college friends sometimes feels like, man, this just isn't the same as when we were in that great time of our lives, right? And I just think like, sometimes I think the, the past when you really analyze it or you get a chance to revisit it, you're like, maybe this wasn't so great
1: but maybe it was good at the time. I think in hindsight, it's hard to take. I mean, in what, just one of your examples is you were watching on a 19 inch TV with, uh, with 420 dots per inch. Now you have one with 4,000 dots per inch. The graphics are so much better. I know my kids have watched highlights. Like I tried to show them, oh, you should have seen this guy in, this guy in college. And you watch the YouTube video, it's, it's not very good. And they think, oh yeah, it doesn't look that impressive. And like, no, he was amazing. Well, that's because the TV was bad. And that's also, by the way, why it was amazing to go to in-person athletic events, because the comparison was really, really bad and going to in-person concerts. And so that thrill was to be there in person because it was so much better. Now it's not that much better. But yeah, I can totally see your point.
0: And I also think, though, too, it's, it's as you said earlier, all of those memories I had, I was a kid, life was simpler, right? Those were, I mean, video games and wrestling, right? Those were my things growing up. And that was all I needed. And in some ways, like Hulk Hogan beats the bad guy, like goodness wins, right? And played the video game. I had fun. And now as an adult, you just are like, man, like, okay, I guess that's what I used to do, but it just seems kind of trivial now. And I guess in some ways it makes the past seem great until you kind of visit it as an adult. And you look and you say, eh, Okay. I guess that's, that's what it was.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I went to hang out with some friends uh, a couple of years ago now, and it was as if nothing had changed since the late 1990s. And it was unbelievably disturbing because it was thinking, well, oh, this isn't, is this it? Like, I remember having long discussions about one girl, this group of three girls and which one was more attractive than the other one. And how would we rank them? And they were there having the same discussions. I've moved on. I I'm married. I have kids. I have a family. I don't really need to sit there and talk about who's hot or who's not. Let's just talk about something interesting, like the content we talk about in this con- podcast. But it was right back there. They haven't changed, and I was like, "Wow, I guess I have."
0: No, and that's kind of an eye-opening thing. And it's it is always nice to see old friends, and you know what? For one night to just kind of reminisce and kind of try to go back and recreate it, it, it can work. But then you sometimes realize, man, like we've all changed enough that we don't really have that much in common anymore moving forward and I think that's just sort of an interesting part it's kind of one of those like I think steps to growing up and and I guess adulting is just kind of realizing that like hey like your past is in your past and you're lucky enough to have some friends that move along with you I have some friends that I still know from middle school that we've grown together if you know what I'm saying and then other people it's like hey like Those were some great times back in the day, but we're clearly just different people. And that's also okay as you just sort of look at things. And I just think this article was fascinating just from the standpoint of trying to sober up people and remind them that there never was an easy time. And um, I just think it's something to kind of remember. I think... A lot of times our politicians aren't very honest about that kind of stuff. Again, I love our politicians just to say, look, this is our new generation, and these are our current day problems, and we need to work together to solve them instead of just saying, well, these would have been solved 20 years ago.
1: Do you think that the people that are complaining about adulting and growing up are missing the positive aspects of that growth?
0: Totally. I I always sometimes like kid myself, and I'm like, I'm a grown man. I'm going to stay up till 11 p.m. tonight because I can. <laughs> and yeah, I, I think people totally forget that because they want to have it all right. Cake and eat it too. I want to be leisurely and I don't want to have to make decisions.
1: Yeah, but you're also missing out on these next things, the joys of being a parent. Not everybody has to be parents. I personally enjoy it. I think there's a lot that, uh, like you said, you saw your girls skiing for the first time and that's that brings a joy that skiing on your own doesn't. And it's wonderful. My kids are skiing currently at the moment, and it's great to see them change and grow. And something I would not miss, I would miss out on if I was still acting like the 22 year old fool that I was.
0: I sent you today a series of paintings. I know that you're a big Hudson River Valley school of art guy, and one of your favorite artists there was Thomas Cole. And I was thinking about this series of paintings that he painted back in the 1850s. I'll put a link up in our show, but if you look at the Like works of art. He painted four paintings and he called them childhood, youth, manhood, and old age. And I just think these paintings summarize exactly what we're talking about is the childhood painting. The sun is rising. There's an innocence to it all. The world looks new. The world looks beautiful. You go to youth and it's like daytime. And all of a sudden now everything looks even more spectacular, more fun, more easy. And then you get to the manhood painting. And it's dark. And the river that this guy is sailing in and this boat is looking like the rapids are increasing and everything looks uncertain. The anxiety is there. And to me, we seem stuck in that manhood sort of phase all the time. And I don't think we can ever break out of it. And to me, it's accepting it because as you said earlier, you look at the last painting in this sequence, old age, and hey, all of a sudden the sun is coming back up again, but the guy's also dying. As you said, like, okay, you want it easier, then I guess you get to be old and feeble and letting everybody else sort of deal with the anxiety. But are you sure you want to be in a race to get there?
1: (laughs) Uh, I don't know. I'm certainly not in a race to get there, not physically at least. But I do kind of yearn for the idea when you say it's done. I remember when my college athletics career ended. I cried and cried and cried for 20, 30 minutes. My dad held me because I realized that it was over, that I had done it. I did everything that I could. There's nothing more. And I wonder if that's what it'll be like when our kids are leaving home, going to college. Will it be celebratory? Which it was for me, even though I was crying. But I wonder if it'll be a relaxing time. We say, well, they did it. They made it through. We're done as parents. Maybe we retire as workers and we say, now we can move on to something that is more fulfilling or it will be less. Most people report that the happiest time in their lives are those when they're working and feeling effective at work and getting things done and they're parenting and providing for their family. I don't know what looks back as a best time. It's really kind of hard to think. I'd like to think there's many best times for many reasons. Well, and that's,
0: of course, one of those life lessons that you hear a lot of enjoy the journey, right? Most people report happiness, probably during the same time of their anxiety. Yes, all these things are flooding through their mind, but they're also busy, right? They're busy impacting their kids, impacting their co-workers, impacting themselves. I, I think like you just said, you have to try to sometimes find a way to enjoy the ride, even though it's not easy. I remember you know, I dedicated at least three or four solid years of my high school career to basketball. I was never there good, but I loved my coach. I loved the workouts, the the playing, the competition, the practices. And I always remember the last game of my life, just like you, sobbing uncontrollably because it was over and realizing that you never get to go back to being a part of. A really intense part of your life, if you know what I'm saying. Yes, there's a lot of pain. Yes, the coach is yelling, but God, you never get to go and just sit on the buses with your teammates and laugh about stupid things. And I think that's something that like, in some ways, we're always so forward thinking that I do think we sometimes really forget to talk about the journey and just embrace what you can that is happy. Take a moment, right?
1: Yeah. Well, the now is the hardest thing to embrace because in the moment, everything's in your mind and present let's say 90% of what's in the newspaper on most days is not going to be remembered or in the history books. It's just what's happening. And we know we could talk about what's happening in the world of finance or stocks today, but it's not going to be a long run impact in all likelihood. That's just a small portion, but we get taken over with the mundane and what's happening right now in your kids' class, their teacher, The world, is your gutter leaking? Like these are things that take over the the current time and that's why it makes it hard. And you forget all those. And in the hindsight, it all looks good. And that's for the best, right? Isn't it great that in the past, we, we don't remember the unpleasantness? We just remember the pleasantness? I think so.
0: And that's probably you thinking about your running career, or again, just using the basketball example I have, is there were lots of moments of doubt, or gray, or murk, or somebody wasn't happy with somebody, or you just failed, or your coach was yelling at you, and yet now you look back, and you just kind of remember your teammates, or you remember the kind of positive aspects of that. I'm very curious about when you and I reached the, the day that we are allowed to retire from our careers. In some ways, you think way in the future, and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm never going going to get there. Or man, I'd love to leave the to leave today. On other days, you're like, I love my job. But I also do wonder when you all of a sudden just say like, I'm done, I'm stepping away. And all of a sudden, you know, a lot of the stress and a lot of the anxiety that comes with being a
1: teacher, it's gone. Is that always a good thing? I guess. That's a big question for me, because I'm three, three years away at 48. I could do that. But I do like talking to kids. I do like being in a physical room with them. I like that people listen to me and are interested in that. And I think I have more to give. But at the same time, there's an idea of, is there something else? Is there somewhere else to go? Is there something else to learn? And a little sadness with anticipating that.
0: I remember when I was living in Egypt, after my first year, I was trying to decide if I wanted to do one more year living in Cairo. And At that time, like the city is just huge. It's polluted. It's busy. And I was like, I don't know. I, I think I just want to go home. I kind of miss home. And I remember just keep saying, though, like, hey, are you sure that there's something better always around the corner too, right? And isn't that always another anxiety part of life? Do you stay or do you go? Because the two roads, right, both are going to be offering something And I think in some ways, we as people, we always want to make the choice that maximizes our happiness. And we're always worried that once we make a choice, we are closing a door that we might regret that now is locked. And I think in some ways that also adds anxiety to our lives. Would you agree?
1: Oh, yeah. And those are hard, permanent decisions. I can only think of two that, I are, that I've that i really made my life, and that was getting married and having kids. And both of them, I wasn't worried at all about it, but those were decisions that changed your life, and it's never going back. And I wonder how that reflects in the people that see the past better. Maybe it's because those decisions worked out. Maybe that's why they say, oh, it was so much better back then when all I had to think about was I had kids, it worked out, they're moving on to some other aspect of society or something.
0: I was thinking about your favorite French enlightenment philosopher, Voltaire. When I was in <laughs> AP English back in high school, I had to read his book Candide. And it was sort of this attack about optimism that was that was hitting the enlightenment. There was some philosopher he was trying to like embarrass or something like that. And in this book, he's got this like character who's like, look, we're living in the best of all possible worlds. We're living in the best of all possible worlds. And throughout the book, the main character though, experiences like the seven years war, these horrific earthquakes, slavery, brutal treatment of women. And meanwhile, the character's like, no, it's the best of all possible worlds. As the book kind of wraps up, all of these horrific events have happened. And like the last sentence of the book, if I remember correctly, this guy like looks to him and he's like, what can we do? Everything is bad. And the guy just says, we must cultivate our garden. And I've always thought about that sentence in terms of what exactly does it mean? I've looked on the internet and I've always taken it to mean, get to work, stop worrying so much, stop being so anxious about all of the world's events and get to work either in your own personal pursuits of happiness, maybe better get to work in your own communal pursuits of happiness, engage with others around you to make your place better, or get to work trying to rectify the problems of the world. But just stopping, staring with your jaw open and and panicking maybe isn't the best way. What do you think about Voltaire's thoughts there?
1: I like that point. And I think people are happier when they're productive. This is why unemployment is correlated with depression, because people don't feel they're effective. They can't provide for their families. And I'm going to go beyond just making a contribution to society or humanity. Just get something done. When I look around my house and see the windows that I put in with a friend or the new water heater that we put in that's done. That was something that's broken. Now it's fixed. I feel good about that. And there's uh, not necessarily leaving a mark where people are going to say that man did that incredible thing, but I saw something and with help fixed it and got it, got it done. And I feel good about it. And I think that's what people, that's what I fall into. When I feel sad and depressed, I just need to be moving and getting something done. And even if it's just picking up dog poop in the backyard afterwards, I feel a little bit better. It just creates a situation where I want to get more done because I feel better about it. And I like the idea of just generating something, doing something rather than contemplating. Getting some wins under your belt, right? Hey, it's a small win to pick up all the dog poop, but it's a win nevertheless. That's true.
0: Especially when you don't step on it accidentally. Oh. Well, Don, I've got kind of one other question for you here then. And I guess I would just say, if you could transport yourself back to an era where you think it might be better where would you go what era do you think might be better even though maybe it really just there is no better era but if you could pick one where are you going
1: I'm sticking now all the people I love are here this is the pace I want enjoy being I don't want to go anywhere else I'm happy
0: it's hard to argue against that that's to be honest I think more I would love to go back just to see it, if you know what I'm saying. I I just want to be a fly on the wall. I would love to go to ancient Rome or ancient Greece and just kind of pick up on whatever people are talking about and doing. I kind of, am just curious, like just how smelly and dirty is everybody. And I would love to just do that. But I, I, it's hard for me to say, no, there was a better time.
1: There's some fly on the wall moments that I'm sure are good historically, but I don't know if I want to be there more than a week or so.
0: Your friend, uh, Tyler Cohen, our hero, he asked a question like a I don't know, five, 10 years ago on his blog. And basically he asked, if you were magically transported to the year 1000, let's just say in Europe, what would you do? Like, what would you do to just start surviving, I guess? Because I have no tangible skills to offer these people a thousand years ago in history. And his answer was kind of like, I think I'd try to go to a monastery or a church and just like get on my knees and beg the priest's, to let me like wash the floors so I could sleep there.
1: I'd start trying to make nails, find some iron, and start making nails. I could sell nails and make millions. People would love me. Be a billionaire in that time period. That would be a big pickup right then.
0: That's probably a good idea. It would be think about what these people don't have enough of and really focus on that.
1: I'm sure I, mean, I could make some nails, and that's that would be big time technology. Then they like, "This is revolutionary. Our naval ships will be better. We'll defeat the Sumerians or whomever is around."
0: Meanwhile, uh, you know, there'd be some jealous noble that would probably have your house ransacked in the middle of the night to take all the five nails that you probably built in that one day.
1: Oh, yeah, he'll probably take credit for it. And uh, it it would be bad. I need to find some protection.
0: (laughs) I also just always thought, like, if I showed up, it's not like any of my sarcastic humor is going to go over well. (laughs) No one's going to understand any of my jokes. No one's going to know who Hulk
1: Hogan was. You could be the first Hulk Hogan. You could bring wrestling to the earlier times. And uh, I could see you educating people in a ring that you built. That'd be great. Hey, think about stuff you could teach them a jump shot. You could invent the game of basketball years and years earlier.
0: That's true. That's true. I could start my own wrestling troupe and say, hey, guys, let's not do this night fighting thing. Let's do fake fighting. I think you'll like mm-hmm. it more.
1: Go to the first Olympics and teach them how to really throw a shot put or a high jump. This is the better way to do it. <laughs>
0: That's a good point. Maybe you could find a can. I don't know if they had cannonballs yet. I don't know if you could find a shot put.
1: If you could put together some chemistry skills, maybe you could invent antibiotics and uh, then you'd be really, really valuable.
0: But then imagine just trying to convince people that like we're going to do some basic inoculations or, hey, everybody, wash your hands, right? I mean, th- I mean that all that stuff, like you think you'd be so smart when you transport yourself there. But then you also have to remember that every era has a collective group think about how they see the world, right? You think about the incremental change that it takes just to get people to sort of re-see the world, to believe in science. That I think would be hard. I mean, you might get burned at the stake if you were trying to do that kind of stuff.
1: Oh, absolutely. And doctors resisted the hand-washing thing for years. I've read about that recently. And that was, yeah. That's why I'm going with nails. Nobody can argue with nails. It's just, it, you, you hold two boards together. It's great. It works well. And people would say, wow, look at those nails. I have a house built with nails.
0: I can't argue at all with that. I can't argue. (laughs) That's a great idea. Well, Don, it's been a pleasure talking with you this week. And uh, I'm curious to see what anxiety-provoking issue comes to America next week.
1: Yeah, yeah. It feels like there's our cup filleth over.
0: Indeed, indeed. Well, have a great week and I look forward to talking with you next week.
1: You too, Zach. Thank you.